Hi everybody, welcome back to Raise Your Vibes. This is Miriam Khan. I am really, really happy today to have a lovely, esteemed author like myself. We have another guest on our show. Welcome to Alison Dagny. Welcome, Alison. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here and be part of your show. That's awesome. Thank you for being here. Alison, please tell me the title of your book and tell me what inspired you to write this particular book. So uh, the title of my book is called When Tears Leave Scars. And um, a little bit of background about me is my um, history is I entered into a narcissistically abusive relationship unknowingly at the age of 19. Um, So I went straight from, you know, being with my parents to meeting. That's right. To meeting (laughs) a man when I was a very young woman um, who was the same age as me when I was in college. Um, We had a whirlwind love bombing relationship at the beginning and we married within two and a half years. And um, throughout the course of the next 20 years that I was with him, we were married for about 17 years. Yeah. Um, There was always this nagging feeling about how horrible of a person that I was. And Mm. I always felt like every issue that happened in our entire marriage was because of me. And I went on this, you know, constant search for trying to be better, for trying to be a better mom, for trying to be a better wife, for trying to be a better Christian, for trying to be better in every aspect of my life, because I felt like that, um, I was never good enough. Um, there were lots and lots of things that happened throughout those those years, as you can imagine. And, um, I wrote the book, um, because I ended up discovering the truth about what was happening to me when I thought that it was something that I was doing wrong. I thought that I was going crazy. I thought I had some mental issues. I thought there was something wrong with me. Um, come come to find out it was not that case at all. And I ended up, um, doing lots and lots of research and figuring out what was the truth. And I never did tell him that I knew that about him, but I exited, I escaped the marriage. I'm glad um, you did so. Must have, that, yep. you know, it's quite difficult because I was expecting you to say, for example, you stayed five years, six years. In my case, it was six <sighs> no. years. And I, and, right. and I have to commend you because um, recently I've been working with a lot of females, counseling them, okay, privately, obviously, some of them have been in that marriage 40 plus years and oh they gosh. are drained, exhausted. You're almost in a, I'm sure we'll discuss this in more depth. You feel like you're in your own prison, although you're not in you a do. prison, but you feel like you are in a prison. And I think people don't really understand how difficult it is and they don't understand the journey we have. You know, we change forever. Right. We change right. forever by it. And I applaud you and yeah. I think you're very brave. Um, I also think you had a lot of strength to stay for 17 Uh years because I think that's the other side that people don't see. People think and presume, and I did, I witnessed very close people growing up with me and I used to think that person's a coward for not leaving. That person, because I'll be honest, in my younger days I was judgmental, okay? And I think a lot of us can understand, a lot of us can sympathize and can relate. But now I actually see that individual that's very, very close to me and I actually think that person's a lioness because uh-huh. they've taken every bit of strength to, to cope every day without uttering a word to anybody. Right. You know, it takes that's a lot. Harder. It takes a, it does. It takes a lot out of you. It takes a lot of uh, emotional and mental energy, um, even physical energy, yeah. really, because, you know, there were so many things that were expected of me. Um, I ended up being a stay home mom. I, you know, had been convinced to quit my job and be a mom just like his mom. And, you know, throughout that, it was, you know, always wanting to be better, always wanting to please yeah. someone else, that kind of codependency part of me. But, yeah. you know, I was I was the person who did did for everyone. I did everything. I never did for me. It yeah. was never about that's me. They, it was always about do. everyone else. They, they do. Yeah. They, they, I don't know what it is, whether it's something that they target, but they seem to go for people that are very loving, caring, nurturing uh-huh. uh, people. You may have seen one of my posts that I did recently, I think, the one where I had like Sarah O'Connor from Terminator. Yes. Uh, the, the housewife where she was before, and then Sarah O'Connor <laughs> with the gun, and I'm, because recently I've been teaching myself how to actually go and use a weapon purely within yeah. a licensed, you know, field. But it gave me this 
sort of like um, metaphorical strength, you know? It does. That I'm armed and I'm not dangerous, but I'm armed and I'm ready and mentally and physically, come on then. If, you know, because right. when somebody that you're in a loving, caring relationship with, or so you think, you know, you're in a marriage like you are, threatens to kill you and it actually means right. it, it's scary right. as something. I'm yes, not going to say is. the word. Yes, it is. But, you know, yeah. you can imagine. And these people are very manipulative. They're very cunning. They're very sly. They will do everything to undermine everything that you are. And they pick on kind people and turn yes, us into something else. So, yeah, you know, and I think when, when you said that about the Sarah Connor thing, I mean, yeah. that's really what my book is about. It yeah. is literally it goes from that transformation of being this kind of submissive housewife, um, abused female to taking my power back and saying, yeah. no, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm not going to let this happen. So it's very inspirational as far as yeah. what I've heard, as far as reviews and people have told me. Um, awesome. But that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to provide hope. I wanted to provide inspiration. And I wanted to also expose what this is because my ex-husband is a covert narcissist. And, and the covert ones are the ones you never expect when you tell someone about it, they are shocked. They are like, no way. There's no way that that person could do something like that. Um, because when the door is closed at home, that's nobody, when nobody knows. the other side unleashed. Nobody right. knows because yeah. I, I no. can relate to that to myself. People saw us as the power couple. People saw us as in love, two people that are matched together. Their personalities match together. They bounce off each other. There are no issues. And then it's only when you step back, although things are happening to you, and your friends don't really twig, do they? they your friends don't really realize. And it's only when you step real back and you look at the wounds and the scars that they leave forever. Some of those will never, ever, ever heal. Never. You know, but one, one of the quotes I, I saw, if I, if I can recall it correctly, is, you know, these scars are turning into stars. You know, and that's the way I, I look that. at it. You know, and I think that's quite nice and quite positive because, you know, there are some of us that don't make it out. There are some of us struggling to get out. And, you know, there are some of us that are too afraid to speak up or to even make those changes. What was it for you that made you make that big decision of I've got to get out? Because you were in it for a long time. I was. And, and you know what it was? It was my kids. It was my kids because at the time my children were gosh, 12, 10, and 8, I think. Yeah. And and once I started to understand what this disorder is, and I started to, to read about it and really truly uh, accept that's what he was, um, and it was hard to accept that. It was hard to sure. accept that he didn't love me. It was ex- hard to accept he didn't love his children. It was hard to accept that he would do these things on purpose. Um, How can they love really anybody? Shocking. How can they love anybody, Alison, when they don't right. love themselves? Exactly. You know? Exactly. And so, you know, when I, the, the kind of sticking point for me was thinking, I cannot let my children grow up the rest of their, you know, childhoods thinking that this is okay. I have to show them, you know, and we have 50-50 custody, but I, yeah. I was willing to take the 50-50 and use my 50 to, to model good parenting, to model non-narcissistic um, behavior, things that are healthy for my kids. Because, and, and I'm glad I did because it, it works out that way that they go to their dads and then they come back to me and they're, you know, having meltdowns and they're, you know, complaining and they're negative energy. And I've got to kind of Recount reduce to that. that. Yeah. And yeah. That's not so easy. that was really the, that was the biggest thing for me. I, don't, I mean, my kids were just, the most important thing at that moment like me yes but but I was like you know what I can I can save myself from this but I've really got to protect them and I can't protect them if I'm here I can't so that was a big sticking point for me one one of the things I want to ask you because um this is an important one I know a couple of ladies that I have counseled recently that are in a very very similar boat to you okay Uh and um I'm I don't have children and in some regards, people might think that's a blessing, but actually it was still difficult to get out. But what I'm saying is there's lots more entanglement. I'm going to use that word. Please forgive me if you think that's offensive. But no. there, is, there is more entanglement when children are involved because they use them as a weapon. You know, yes. And they use them because they're a vulnerable part of getting to you. 
and yeah. you know they are a vulnerable part of attacking you and getting you to go back so somebody i know is going through this and maybe we can give that individual advice because they're in that situation where they tried to leave a year ago and they did only to turn back now they've left again and i'm so proud of the fact that this person's left again this time their child is with them okay and um you know the ex soon to be ex who's, who's making life very very difficult has gone to extremes of hunting her down let's put it like that okay and you can understand that apprehension that tension the stress the constant looking over your shoulder you're already psychologically warped because you've come out of war that's the best way i can describe it if i felt physically emotionally spiritually religiously drained as hell you know and i couldn't even look after myself i wonder how she feels with a child right you know and doing things like for example the recent things and i'm not trying to give anyone ideas but there's a new thing called air tags where to do with your iphone where you can place them on an object in a place and you can track that person down forget gps on your phone forget iphone track my iphone this 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 how about being so sneaky that you're putting in items like your child's car seat or your child's you know bottle or some you know rucksack so that you know exactly where that person's gone when they've left you and they're tracking you down games like turning up when they found that person turning up with the spare car key that that person's forgotten that that was there do you get what i'm saying i do okay? yeah so some narcissists will go to very 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 extreme you know depths to try and get that person back and unfortunately the law is not on your side that makes uh -huh. it difficult too so what you know from your we'll go through perhaps my my um top tips what top tips have you got for for someone with children in this situation so, so in my situation because um because my ex-husband was not for the most part physically abusive stalking type of person um he did everything very covertly very sneaky very insidiously to manipulate me um but i have talked to many people who have been in similar situations as this person that you're speaking about um, and in my situation what I did and this is what I preach and what I tell everyone to do is to plan um, because planning is so valuable and so important and if you don't have a solid plan to me that's like okay tomorrow I'm going to get up and go run a marathon tomorrow which I've never done before but I'm just going to get up and go do that yeah you might be able to get to the finish line eventually but you're going to stop a lot. You're going to get dehydrated. Yeah. You might have to, you know, lay down or you might get blisters on your feet or whatever that might be. So, but if you plan and you prepare yeah. yourself for that marathon and it might take you a while, I you agree. will be able to be set yourself up for more success. I agree. The, the difficulty is sometimes, not always, sometimes mm -hmm. is that when they've knocked your self-esteem so low, you can't think straight your head is confused your head is muddled we've all go through different stages of coming out of narcissism correct and abuse yes. because to be fair abuse and narcissism are technically similar okay they're not the same yes. they're similar but your mind is so frazzled i think that's the best way to say it that you can't think straight now i think of it as like a game of chess when i was coming out of my marriage i had to maneuver it fast 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 and I had to play it like chess. Where am I going to put my king? Where am I going to put my queen? Right. What do I need to protect? We, we say in England, we say, put your ducks in a row. Get yep. your ducks in a row. I had to forward think 20 steps ahead of him of what he was going to yep. do. And everything I put in action, exactly to the T, he did. Yeah? To the point uh, where I, he was shocked that I'd yeah. done this, and, this, this, which made him more angry. Uh -huh. Okay. And, and that is actually the, probably um, a lot of people underestimate themselves, a lot of victims yes. and survivors underestimate themselves, but you know that person better than anybody else. <laughs> you know the true them, you know what they do, what they say, what their, what their wants and their needs and their desires are better than anybody else. Yes. So really, you can predict their next move. Sure. You can think about what, okay, if this happens... And I still have to do that. I do yeah. it every single day with my ex because we share kids, so we have to. I have to think about what's going to happen down the road. It always is that way. So that's a really so, good, yeah. a really good. Sometimes uh, point. 
sometimes it's not always possible to do. You have to have, and this is the other thing I personally learn, and, and the person I'm talking about learned as well, is that you really do find out who your true, true friends are. And family. Yes. And family, because yes. in a lot of cases, including mine, there were there were people who I was so close to that I could call a call like a brother or a sister that said to me, "What are you doing? This is a marriage. You don't do divorce. You need to stay. Doesn't matter what that person's doing. Forgive." And I was like, "Excuse me, no." And th this is even no. this is priests. This is or priestess or it was even people that were close to me. I lost so many people, you know, because. Some of it was they didn't want to know, okay, and they were almost like this attitude of shut up and put up with it, or mm -hmm. why are you complaining about this little thing? It's a small thing. They didn't get it. They didn't want to get it, okay? All right. Then the ones that really did get what was going on were almost like, sorry, this is too much to handle and I'm bowing out. Yeah. Okay? And, and then I, what... Go on. Sorry. What I would say... No, that's okay. What I would say to certain people too is... Look at the people, when you're reaching out for help, because like in your case, you know, your friends, your family, and then people are saying, oh my gosh, you shouldn't be leaving. I found that the best people to reach out to are the ones that you know hated the narcissist, <laughs> hated that person. The ones that you were isolated from, the yeah. ones that you weren't allowed to hang out with. Yeah. Because when you go to them and you say, look, at this is what's happened to me, and they're like, oh, we're going after them now. I'm, I'm, I'm going to help you, whatever, we, whatever you need. And, you know... I think it takes a lot of humility to go back with your tail between your legs oh, to some of those yes. people who, who you may have cut out from your life or who, you know, because the narcissist isolated you from them. Um, but oh. I feel like even people who you feel like are your closest friends are not really what they no. are. No, and it was, a big, it was a big lesson. It was a big lesson. And I can relate to this with other individuals that I've helped as well. Because, yeah. um, you know, for me, I was the breadwinner. And financially, I was stable. I was the one working. I, I'm the go-getter, yeah? But there are lots and lots of people in similar positions to yourself and me and other, other people that we know. They're not in a financial position either. Like yourself, you were, work, you were a, a mom. So financially, you know, if you're saying about getting your ducks in a row and, and maneuvering forward, how do you do that when you've got no financial resources? So any top tips there, Alison, that you could share? I do have tips. And I was actually very fortunate in my situation because I had we had a side business going. He worked, but I ran sort of the side business on my own. So I was able to take that with me when we divorced. And I know not everyone has that luxury. Um, but things that um, – and I, I put a blog post on my website about this too. Things that I recommend that people do is, number one, is get your financial independence back. And – People say, well, how do you do that? How can I, how can yeah. I, I haven't been working for this long. There's a lot of different ways that you can do it. Um, if the narcissist is so controlling that you absolutely cannot work outside of the home, you might have to suggest like homeschooling um, other people's children during a pandemic, um, babysitting, um, finding some sort of craft to sell online on Etsy or on Facebook Marketplace or something like that. And I actually recommend being sneaky. I mean, I know that might sound bad to certain people, but like if you tell the narcissist that you make $100 on, you know, babysitting this person's child for the week, uh, really it's 150 and you're going to pocket yeah. the rest. So because they're going to hold you accountable, they're going to sure. say, hey, where, where's the money? Sure. Um, so give it so me. in some regards, yeah. yes, in some regards, you have to be very crafty. You have to be sneaky and, you know... I know a lot of people say, oh, I don't want to stoop to their level. I get it. I do. But yeah. if you have to get out and you have to yeah. escape, you may have to take on some things that you don't feel are becoming of you, yeah. in and my some, opinion. Sometimes it's difficult to do the babysitting, um, although it's a good suggestion. Sometimes you might not want to bring an innocent child into that dynamic where That's it's true. toxic for you. Some people might not be able to do that. The person I'm referring to, for example, is moving uh, potentially place from place from place. Other people I know, mm -hmm. you can't always do that. Sometimes no. you can rely on benefits. You know, I know in America you've got food stamps, you've got particular um, stimulus checks and so on. But again, if you've left That's... someone who's a narcissist and they're the one getting the finances, you've got nothing. You know? No, you don't. And, and that's the one hard. thing, like, in, a, in a marriage situation in the United States for me, we ended up being, with my attorney, got me on status quo. So what that meant was, everything that happened prior to this separation 
continued. So same credit cards, same bank accounts until the divorce was final. That's good. So I got, I still had that, that ability to do that. And a lot of people don't know that that is a possibility for them when they leave. Um, that's another thing I think is really, really important. It, here's the thing. If you don't have money and you, you can't go to an, a lawyer and put down a deposit or a retainer fee, how do you get help? Yeah, well, what I suggest is call around to multiple attorney firms and ask for a free consultation, and they always give them. So get a 30-minute or an hour-long consultation to ask questions to say, do you think you could take my case? And a lot of times they'll give you free advice. They'll tell you, oh, you don't want to leave your house because if you leave the house then he'll end up with the house or they'll, they'll just give you things in your state because each state is different in the United States. They'll give you the actual legal advice that you need sure. for free. Yeah. So I always recommend to do that. And to, to be fair, most places, I mean, you know, we're, we're talking on an international level. Obviously I'm from England. You're from, you know, the States. We're going to have listeners from all over listening to this podcast, mm-hmm. you know, depending on where you are, you know, check out, um, you know, some places, you know, like in the UK, you can have, civ- we have, we call it Citizens Advice Bureau. You might have similar places like that. Your local library, in most cases, uh-huh. I don't know about the states, they have some, you know, information. Even doctor surgeries have things uh-huh. like this as well because it's becoming more and more, unfortunately, a frequent thing. And I think since COVID last year, it's become even more frequent. You know, you're seeing more and more signs, aren't you? I don't know if you've seen them in America, where it's doing the whole hand sign, where you put uh-huh. your thumb down and then you, you're uh-huh. putting your, the rest of your fingers down to say to someone, help. You know? Yes. These things are being, you know, shown more and more now in our media and our press because people are recognising this is a big, big issue. It's a big it issue. Is. We cannot sweep it under the carpet. We need to do something about it. We need to be proactive. You're doing an amazing thing with your book. You know, had you written before, Alison, or was this your first book? You know, I was just thinking about that this morning. I wrote a book back um, years ago, maybe like five years ago, while I was still married. But I always had this like desire to write a book. Um, I don't have like an English literature background or like anything oh. like that, but I am a creative person by nature. So I liked to write. I liked to write poetry when I was younger. And so I, I, I couldn't, I didn't really have like an idea about what I wanted to write. So I wrote a non or I wrote a fiction book, like a science fiction book, but I never did anything with it. And it's sitting in a drawer right now, just <laughs> printed out on, on a stack of paper. Um, and then once I escaped this position of being this victim of a narcissist, I was like, I have to tell people about this. People have got to know and got to understand what it feels like to be a victim of emotional abuse. Mm-hmm. They have to know because... And what I have found is not only is it is that the case, but it's actually helping people who are family and friends of um, victims because somebody like my mom, who was isolated from me, who I didn't have really a relationship throughout my marriage because my ex-husband would not permit it. um, Books like this will help people like her because they're like, will my child ever see? Will she ever understand what she's going through? Will she ever leave her abusive husband? Um, It helps them kind of understand and relate. Not not that it makes it okay, but it helps them understand because a lot of people will go, why don't you just leave? Why don't you just get out? What's the problem? People are very, this is what I'm saying to you. People are very judgmental and they don't understand the dynamics of what that person's done. I mean, um, you know, you seem very headstrong. I'm very, very headstrong. I'm very vocal, as you can hear, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And for someone to select me, I, I said this in a in a prior podcast with a, another author, you know, that I interviewed. And I said that they, they, he selected me from the beginning. He took someone mm-hmm. very strong, very outspoken, very independent, you know. And it was almost like he was looking for a challenge. And even now, with the whole divorce situation and going through divorce and coming out the other side of divorce, they will do everything they can to entice you to, um, you know, say that they're in power. It's an ego and egged sort of trip. And there are times that you look back on that relationship, you can try and nip things in the bud, you know. Uh Um, I was hit... I had I was threatened with a knife. There was various other things I've had happen to me. 
I've come off minor in comparison to the ladies that I've counselled and men. If I'm honest, this is not just this is not just uh -huh. a female situation. Let's just make this clear. Narcissism, you know, can be in a female too as well as a male, but it's not easy to walk away from. And the trauma, the emotional scars, the healing you have to do afterwards is is not easy. So, how long did it take you? to like recover recover i guess because before you wrote the book i presume there was a period where you're having to look after you and your children mm -hmm. yeah so when i wrote the book i actually wrote it through my healing um and you get to see some of that through the book you get to see you know some of the therapy sessions and things like that um because i felt like i needed to have those some of those raw emotions throughout the book um it was really hard to go back to the past because yeah. you have to relive the abuse. You have to yes. relive the experiences that you went through. So that was hard, but it's also healing. Um, and as far as um, making sure I take care of myself, I really, really, really put my healing as number one priority because it's like when, they, when you get on an airplane and they tell you, don't put the mask on anybody else before you put it on yourself. <laughs> I knew I couldn't help my kids until I helped me. And I, I felt so unbelievably... Um, controlled even after I left I felt like why am I having anxiety attacks yeah. why am I having these triggering moments and I'm like I'm not even with him yep but he still I still felt like he it's was the control it's the yes. control because what you don't realize I think none of us realize until we've left that situation we're victims of trauma and we're victims of mm -hmm. post you know uh, you know sort of like PTSD we have the trauma mm -hmm. afterwards too because there's things that have happened to us and we're almost in pile autopilot but you're sort of always thinking something's going to drop on my head, a bomb's going to drop, what's going to happen now? And then when you're right. free, you know, and I'm saying free inverted commas, you still think mm -hmm. you're trapped. You still think you're in this yeah. prison and it's your prison yes. of thoughts. It's your prison of this has been your routine. You're conditioned like Pavlov's dogs to bring psychology right. into it. And it takes a long time to uncondition and retrain yourself to, to think this is acceptable. You know, right. for example, it could be something innocent like opening the door to someone where before you weren't allowed. How dare you open right. the door? How dare? I can remember doing that. I can remember innocently the doorbell went to our house, our house, where I paid the bills. Yeah. And the doorbell went, obviously, I'm going to go see who it is. And I was screamed at and shouted at like, how dare you open the door? How dare you? This could be someone who wants you. And I'm like, what the hell? I just could not <laughs> understand like this like mindset of like, what? And it was someone who yeah. came to tell me, oh, by the way, this is your electric bill, you know, or whatever it was. Mm. Bear in mind that I've owned my own house, you know, prior to that incident, I'd owned my house for like 15, 16 years in England. I'd paid every bill, you know, myself, yeah. you know, I'm quite capable Someone might look at that and think, that's weird, it's chauvinistic, but it wasn't. It was control. It was, you are this person, you will stay quiet, and you will just move to the side. I am the one that right. will dominate. Even yeah. though he had to turn around and say, can I have this much money to pay the bill? That's the, <laughs> that's the hypocrisy, <laughs> you know? Well, and, you know, when you were talking about, like, a lot of people ask this question, like on my Instagram or my Facebook, they'll say, how long until you heal? And is there like a timeline, like for every five years of abuse, how many years to heal? There, like, there is no, there, there is no timeline. And, and really what I learned is that my commitment to heal had to be stronger than the story of my abuse. Correct. So though I wrote this book, though it's out there, though it's the story, that's not me. No, that's not who I am. And it doesn't define me. So, you have to. It's a chapter I of your like... life, Alison. It's a chapter exactly. of your life. It's not your whole book. You've closed that chapter and you've moved forward. But some people right. don't. That's the That's thing. That's right. They stay in the patterns of behavior. I've done CBT, um, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy. Some people stay in this almost like this, you know, rat race, running round and round, right. making the same choices, the same partners, the same selection, right. not moving forward. You're right. Your healing starts with you, and right. you can't you can't put a time frame on it. One of no. the thing, one of the things I realized was I am not wasting. Yes, I'm going to be crying. Yes, I'm going to be emotionally drained, and that's cathartic, like you said. Yeah, it it's yeah. good to grieve because this is a grievance. This is yeah. almost like a death because it's the it death is. of your relationship, 
the death of your hopes, your joys, your dreams, your love, the death of your marriage or relationship, whatever it was, whatever label you'd given it, you, you put this person on a pedestal at some point, they've come crashing down. So you put this person on a pedestal and you know at some point they come crashing down. They come crashing down with an almighty bang, okay? And we don't realise the impact of that bang. We, we have thought that, okay, they're not necessarily, like people have this label of Mr. Right or Mrs. Right or Prince Charming or Princess Charming, whatever it is. But to you, they were your everything, you know? And for that to be ripped apart into pieces takes time. And we do have to grieve. We have to, each of us will grieve in our different ways, you know, and heal in our different ways. I made sure I started putting me first again. I'm still on that journey, you know, and I will. I, like I, I was mentioning to you today, I, I went to learn how to sail. It is something I've wanted to do for a long time. Guess what? I did it today. Okay. That's because amazing. <laughs> in that relationship, I couldn't. When I was mentioning the gun range, that was pushing me to go do something again that gave me strength. You know, and people, my friends, my close friends were like, oh, you're doing something crazy again. I was like, no, I'm doing this for me because I mean, it's giving me strength and it's giving me adrenaline and it's making me feel strong physically and mentally. It's something I need to do. So what other things did you do, you know, to help you through that with your healing? What have you done? to get you through this? So I, I did um, therapy. I still go to therapy, and it's been three and a half years. Um, and I have a therapist who I absolutely adore, and she helps me get, get down to the heart and the, um, the root of the issues, kind of peeling back those layers. The thing that I felt like the my most important um, aspect of therapy was that I always left the therapy session with some sort of actionable steps. I didn't want my therapy sessions to turn into like a vent vent fest, even though I feel like there is, you know, a lot of healing and venting and getting out all your feelings. I think that's really important too. But, but if I spent an hour venting to her and just left, I didn't feel like I was able to do anything when, you know, until the next week when I came back. So because it's draining. I always, it's emotionally, it is. It's emotionally draining, it regurgitating those things, you know, I, like it I told is. you, I'm a counselor myself. And it's ironic that it happened to me, but it does. Yep. It can happen yep. to anybody off the street. But also, I think you look back at like the programming in your own brain of why did I also tolerate this? So I know your friends say, right. why, why, why don't you leave? But also you question, you sort of reflecting and go, why was my self-esteem so low? Or right. why was my uh, acceptance level of this behavior to, at this threshold? Why did, why right. did I not question it was I not able to or would it have caused a fight would it have caused an argue and I think also you have to look back at that and say okay there's things I need to take responsibility for too I was just gonna say that I was absolutely just gonna say that because one of the very first things that I did through my therapy sessions was learn to forgive myself yeah. for the things that I overlooked and the things that I permitted and the things that I just said oh well he's in a bad mood or oh well you know I'll, I'll, if I do better he will be better you know I had to forgive myself for those things and I think a lot of times people get that confused because it's like yes. well you were the victim you you didn't do anything wrong a lot of people say that and that's true you know abuse is abuse yeah. right and and yeah. the the responsibility lies on the abuser however there is i have in order to heal i had to look and see what my part was in it yes. what was my part why didn't why didn't i leave what what was it about me that permitted some of the things that happened to me yeah. and i know that doesn't apply in every situation you know but but for me I definitely had to take some responsibility for what my part was. It's healthy to do self-reflection. It's not about ego or self-blame or, you know, like a lot of victims also, because the narcissist is so covert and so clever and manipulative, they do blame you. So you do question everything. Uh -huh. One of our, our favourite words is sorry. Sorry. Uh -huh. Yes. Sorry. 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 You know, I can recall my friend... And I can recall people that I've counseled saying, I'm sorry I called you. I'm sorry I've told you my problems. I'm sorry that I'm calling no. you. I'm, I'm sorry that I'm all... No. And, and that is so hard for them to speak up in the first place. 
you know uh, and this is what i mean that not everybody will understand but we do yeah. sometimes a bit like the michael jackson song that i'm sure i've mentioned many many times before in different podcasts you do have to start with the person in the mirror you know yeah. and, it, and you start with self-affirmations of you know saying to yourself it's okay you're safe now it's okay you you didn't do anything to bring this to you you just happened to make the wrong choice with the wrong person you had certain expectations they didn't work out you didn't know they were going to turn out like this you know if you were looking for love for example like you were 19 bless you you were young i was in my 30s my late 30s you know and i'd experienced people that were narcissistic and controlling and abusive and all sorts but i personally realized i'd fallen into a pattern you know my, my particular person planned it from the beginning and initially uh -huh. it was all you know roses and sunshine and fun and laughter and the covert narcissism was creeping in and i didn't see it till later on till the three years you know six years together three years towards the end it started slowly chipping away yeah uh -huh. so these people you know they're very manipulative and you do have to say to yourself it's okay and you sort of like some of the work I've been doing with counselling is working on your inner child. You know, there's a lot of us that have inner child wounds and we don't um, say to that person, you know, let me hold your hand and let me walk you through this and it's okay. I'm going to give you a hug, you know. And I, I know to some people this sounds stupid, but you're just reassuring that wounded person that you're going to be all right and it's going to be okay, okay. And yeah. you've not done anything wrong. It's just... This was the situation you were in. This was the predicament you were in. But now you're trying your best to come out of it, you know? And that also well, is hard. Well, and it's like, to me, I kind of compare it to like a computer. You know, we are programmed from the moment that we're born, from what our parents say to us, to how we're treated by people, from teachers at school, every friend that we have, all the things create this program and then once we end up in later in life that programming continues and in my case my program a lot of my program happened in my adult years so now I'm deprogramming myself yeah. now I have to go back and deprogram and yeah. rewrite the program in my computer to heal because just because the pathway says I have to go this way because that's my programming doesn't mean I can't rewrite it and go a no. different pathway it's and that's what I have it's to do. similar to what I said to you about the Pavlov's dogs that you know, you're, yeah. re you're reconditioning yourself, you know, you're reconditioning the things you've been accustomed to. You know, for example, the narcissist can be very, very covert in financial abuse. You know, they control every aspect of how much money you spend on you or your child. And it's almost equating it to your worth. You know, for example, giving you a dollar, a dollar for you and your children to go and spend outside. What can you... What meal can you possibly purchase? Do you get what I'm saying to you? Uh, well, you know? I was a, extremely financially abused. That was a main theme of our marriage because he was, um, I think he was a c cerebral narcissist. Um, that's just my opinion. But there was a lot of um, manipulation when it came to money, a lot of control about the finances, a lot of things that were said like, you can't do this, you can't spend that. We're scrutinizing receipts. I want to see everything that you purchase, everything that you buy. I make the money. You don't make the money. Um, you know, but then it was totally fine for him to go out and buy like an eight hundred dollar right. crossbow to double hunt standards. with or something. Lots whatever. Of, he lots did. of double yes, standards. Completely. Lots of hypocrisy. Yeah. Right. How did yeah, you? So there, that was important. How did you sort of re re I guess train yourself to be able to <sighs> then? That's hard. I, I can see it's that. really yeah, hard. It's hard. It's really hard because now not only, you know, I'm not with him anymore, but I am completely 100 percent responsible for my own mortgage, for all of my money that's coming in, all of the money that I spend. I have <laughs> I mean, it is really empowering, but it's also really scary. So like when I would go out shopping and, and I have a friend who helped me with this um, because I would be like, oh, I can't buy that. It's too expensive what what do you mean you can't buy it but that was just the, the, conditioning, the conditioning that was like oh i can't i can't do that it's too much like and it really really bothered me it really hurt yeah. me inside to think that I, and i'm like but but really i can't afford it yeah. so i've i've gone through like money mindset mantras and you know i have a a, a person who I, who i work with that helps me in that as 
aspect too, because that was like one of the hardest things to overcome because it was such a huge theme and, you know, you aren't, you aren't good with numbers. You don't know how to manage money. I'm the one who makes, you know, and you just start feeling really small and incapable. And all of a sudden, like, well, I'm not with you anymore. And I make money. I spend money. I'm responsible, you know, so those kinds of things. And the other thing with that is, when you have financial abuse in a situation like this, it's extremely difficult to get out. It's yeah. really, really hard for people yeah. who have experienced that to get and out. I think even if it's if it's someone controlling you, or even if you are financially abundant, you find that yourself you find yourself going back to the narcissist because you can't cope without them. Mm-hmm. You know. Yes. So this sounds very strange, but that whole control and that leash. You find it very, very difficult to be um, in your own empowerment again, you know? And yeah, you do. feel anxious, you feel like something's missing. Like I said, they will make sure you go back, you know? And this is this is the scenario that I'm saying to you that, you know, I, I was stunned when you said 17 years. Like I said to you, there's someone I know that's done it for 40 plus years. And it's exhausting, you know? It's exhausting seeing them you know, do various things in that marriage or in that relationship and you're not able to leave. And they will do things where, you know, they will cut off ties. You know, for example, um, in certain countries where it's hotter climates, you might not be able to go out of your own house. Even though you've got a car, all your neighbours see that you've got a car, but maybe that car hasn't been serviced. Now, somebody might say, well, hold on a minute, just take it to the garage or take it to go get a mechanic. Well, these people make sure you don't because you're reliant on them to do everything. So in one case, I was stepping in to help this lady and I'm very car um, minded. My father, God bless him, and my uncle, my uncle was a mechanic. So ever since I was young, my dad and, and I were popping under the hood and we were changing the oil on cars. I'm talking back in the day because now in England, it's not allowed. But when I was like under 10 years old, we were always... You know, he was changing the oil filter, the air filter. He was changing the spark plugs. And I grew up, you know, with that sort of like mentality. My dad won't recognize it, but he's, he's given me a lot of strength, a lot of tools that I've found to my advantage in my later on in, you know, adult years. But there is a lot of females out there that aren't. They're very reliant on a male person to do everything. And I tried my hardest with this person to actually, for me, to physically get her car keys it was that bad. She wouldn't even give me the car keys to just to even lift up the bonnet or the hood so that I could check. Was it, for example, a simple case of you need to put water in the car so the radiator is fine? Do you need to just check your oil levels? Is it the fact that you've run out of gas in your air, air conditioning cylinder? You know, and I was telling her all these things and I'm saying these are so simple, so simple. But it made me realize I want to help females more, you know, and I'm, I'm not saying everybody should be um, helped like that because some some people are. They can do it themselves. But this is what they do. The narcissist will take away all those things so that they are you are reliant on them completely. And then there's that fear. Like I said, this individual had fear. Fear of me being seen outside with their car. You know, if the neighbours might say something to this person. The, the, you know, the doorman might say something. And then I'm in trouble. I will get this. and You know, that anxiety sets in. Yep. So it's very, very difficult if you are also trying to help someone leave because they've been so conditioned, they don't see it. And they're not just in this prison that's a, a mental prison. It's a physical prison as well. And it's a spiritual prison. Sometimes a religious, you know, prison. You, you know, sometimes they re- use religion against you, you know. It's not easy. It's extremely scary. It's very scary for people, especially. Um, I have a, a friend who um, who lives in the in the UK, and she's going through the same exact thing right now. And her uh, abusive narcissistic ex is physically abusive as well. Yeah. Um, and so she is extremely scared of doing anything wrong. And she she's gone. She's away. You know, away from him in a shelter uh, right now. But. Um, but they're dealing with the court systems and things like that. And it's so, I mean, I can hear it in her voice. Like, Oh, I don't know if I can do that. Oh, I, I, what if he finds out or, you know, it's, it's very hard. scary for she's, people. She's it's fortunate. extremely scary. She's very fortunate to find a shelter. I mean, that's another good point you've made because, 
you know sometimes when we leave and say we leave in the middle of the night these things happen when when we decide to leave the narcissist like the game of chess that i said to you earlier we're thinking about it 20 steps before it's just that we've not taken the plunge yet we might have that bag ready we might have the money ready or the support ready but we've just not physically walked out the door yet but we're waiting we're waiting for that push you know and we know that when when we're gone there's no going back sometimes we're dragged back sometimes we're forced Uh back sometimes they, they they you know love bombers to go back you know, oh, you know, it'll be different, it'll be this, it'll be that. One one of the most recent things I encountered through my divorce, it just made me laugh my head off. And I did have to laugh. And I, I think this was part of my therapy to myself, was when, when a friend got involved, um, I had blocked all numbers, all contact, all everything. And a friend who I had spoke to once... Um, that was my ex-husband's best friend of like 20 plus, nearly 30 plus years friendship, decided to ring me, yeah, never had like had any relationship with me during the marriage or anything like that, but decided to fix our marriage, you know, (sighs) and it was a case of like, oh, I think you've just been like too, um, you know, too upfront about this and you should forgive and you should do this and you should do that, and then what made me laugh was, when this person turned around and said, because you're at this age, you're not going to get anyone else. And I had just sat there and laughed my head off. And I said, are you for real? Like, seriously, have you just heard what you've just said to yourself? Like, so you think I'm that broken and I'm that... Because, you know, to be honest, if someone else was hadn't healed... I'm not making a joke of this, by the way. But if you hadn't healed and if you hadn't got that self-empowerment and self-love, you would probably go back when they say to you, you're not going to get someone else and you're lucky Uh to have so-and-so. Well, tell me what's lucky to have about this person. Please tell me. I said, these are the things this person's done that's broken our marriage. I listed them off. Okay. And you're telling me that all can be fixed and resolved and sorted? No, I'm done. That's why that person's blocked. That's why the family's blocked. Oh, well, the family wants to say, sorry, I've heard it before. You, you know, you, this is becoming a running mill. You had a time, you had the things to forgive, and I'm all for forgiving and forgetting, and I wish that person peace, but no. And I, I just sat back and thought it was so funny that they would use my... Because I'm 43, so they were going to use my age against me. My ex-husband is 42. Okay, so there's only one year difference. But to insinuate that a female... Um, won't be able to find someone else at that stage of life. And I said, look, I'm happy on my own. I was on my own for 15 years before I met my husband. I was traveling, living, I wasn't married. So what in your head thinks that? Uh-huh. You know, they, they, there's this whole concept of this, like um, trying to win you around and people will, they'll get other people involved to do their dirty work when they can't get to you. Yeah, yeah, that happened to me too. I mean, there, and you know, but like you said, with the chess pieces, I knew that that was going to happen because I had done my research about flying monkeys and all of that. So I went to every person in my family and I said, please do not talk to him because I know he's going to reach out to you. Please do not engage with him. Please, do, you know, and I told them and I explained, and it's hard for those kinds of people to really grasp, like, what's the big deal? Like he's been in your, he's been your husband for the last 17 years. Like why, what if he wants to talk to us because you're getting divorced? And no, no, yeah, they don't there's get a motive. The cold, they don't get the, I think I'm going to call it cold turkey because it is, it's going cold turkey, you know, yep. and, and you're cutting all contact, but you're doing it because you need, you need that distance and you need to put barriers back in place because before there weren't any it's you protecting yourself and your children or whoever's involved in your life but also you're respecting yourself you're putting you're showing you you know excuse me no if you want to call you do this and that you you had a had a laugh in your story and a similar story (laughs) to to. me i had to because (laughs) i was like what the hell (laughs) <laughs> well, my my ex husband. Well, he was. We were just separated, and he because I had previously mentioned that my mom and I were estranged through the majority of our uh, marriage because he didn't want me around my mom, and you know, kind of pushed her out to the side. 
Well, my mom was one of the very first people that helped me um, when I decided I was going to leave. And he, one day, this was shortly after I had told him I was divorcing him, went, and he didn't talk to my mom. Like, this is the person who, when he would go to, if he went to her house, like, on a holiday that I was able to convince him to go to for an hour, would sit in the corner like a bump on the log and refuse to eat the food that was served and wouldn't talk to anyone and made it really uncomfortable. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So he, so this is the person who didn't speak to my mom for, you know, and and treated her very poorly for, you know, the the time that we were married, went to her house at like 11 o'clock at night and she came around to the backyard with a bottle of bourbon and ice cream for, as a gift for my mom and sat and talked to my mom for two hours in her house and told her how sorry he was and how he wanted me back and he would never do that again. And I was like, Mom, why did you let him in? Why did you talk to him? It was the bourbon, but, obviously. You know, <laughs> the yeah, bourbon she's works. like, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know. I'm like, oh, you know, you anyway, make a, you, know, you make a good point because, you see, what they do is they will do things like this They've made sure that you're isolated from that person, so they come along with gifts, you know. I'm not the bad guy or female that this person has made me out to be. Hear me out. You've heard it all wrong, and this is what I'm saying about them being amazing actors or actresses. They are able to wrap people around their finger and manipulate, manipulate, manipulate. This has happened to someone I know where the ex-partner is turning up at the mother's house, knowing full well that the person, the ex-partner is not there, but has done it to intimidate, because that's your weakness. Like in a game of chess, it's your pawns. Go to the pawns first. Who am I going to checkmate after that? Who's next? But let's start your weakest link. Let's intimidate, because you're going to have to force yourself to come out of wherever you are in hiding, or call me, if you've changed your number, you're going to have to call me to say, go away. Right? Exactly. And technically, by law, in a lot of places, it's not illegal to turn up to somebody's house. Now, you might be trespassing on their land, but if you're clever and wise like these people are, because they are clever. For example, driving up and down this person's street consistently for about an hour. So driving up and down, now that's not illegal, but it's harassment. Right. But it's not classed as harassment. Do you get me? It's intimidating. It's extremely intimidating. But that's what they do because Mm -hmm. they know they can get away with it. These people are sly, very sly. And this is what they do. They do that covertness to try and lure you out, to try and manipulate the the family and friends. And your family's there going, but they're nice. I had a nice chat with them. Your mum was probably the same, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah, she said he seemed really sincere, and I was like, oh, he's not. He's a manipulator. He's doing this for a motive of his own Some of them deserve desire. Oscars, you know, the uh-huh. worst narcissist goes too. Now, guys, those of you that are listening, I'm not, you know, I'm not mimicking. I'm not taking the Michael, as we say back home. But this is serious. These people are very clever at what they do. Very, very, very cunning. Very cunning. And that's why when we leave, people are shocked. They, they don't see that side. They don't see the fact that some people are running for their lives. Mm-hmm. You know, they are yeah. in absolute fear because this person will kill them. And sadly, very, very sadly, sometimes that happens. It does. You know? And that's the scariest part. I mean, I I remember my, like I said, he, he didn't physically harm me, like as far as like punch me or shove me, um, wrist grabbing, blocking my way. I believe all are forms of abuse as well. If if you are coercion, things like that. But, um, he intimidated me and said, Oh yeah, I could, I could totally kill you and bury your body and no one would ever find you and so things like and say it very coolly not yeah. even scarily just like very calm and yeah i could totally do that to you and no and one the would fact ever find that and it's thought about it is alarming yeah. you know exactly and when you're in that place of fear you know they're speaking truth they're not just mm-hmm. talking uh, sorry to say this phrase but i can't think of another way to say it but they're not <sighs> talking out their ass you know, right. they're laying the cards on the table. They're not doing poker face. They're saying, this is what I'm going to do to you. This is what will happen. And you know, when you're in that volatile, it is. It's a volatile, abusive, psychotic relationship that you think is love. 
and it's not, but you know that person is, is speaking truth. You're, you're in fear. You're in yes. fear. When I was told by my ex-husband, I am going to kill you, and it, was, it wasn't just one time, it was several times, and the family got involved, and various other people got involved, and the recent friend had said to me, no, you know, you, you misunderstood. I went, no, you can't misunderstand. Someone clearly said to you, I am going to kill you. You know, and I'm going to make sure that I hunt you down and make your life hell. And they have done, you know. Uh -huh. And don't get me wrong, I was very panicky. And despite not even being very in close proximity of that, you know, ex-husband. But still, the feelings of anxiety are there. The stress is there. The paranoia is there. Looking over your shoulder. Looking over things that you're doing. Whether it's everyday things like opening your door. Expecting someone you know, someone you might, down the street, even if you've taken a walk, someone reminds you of them. They might physically look like them. It really triggers you. We all have these different trigger points. And then to the point where you, you want to put a restraining order in, but you can't. Or, you know, these things go against us. Like I said to you, when I had got over that, that scenario out of my situation, I just blew up. You know, as in verbally, I blew up. And I, and I had got to the point where, out of nowhere, despite being loud and bubbly and whatever I am, but I was like, excuse me, did you just threaten to kill me? Like, how, how are you gonna do that? Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are threatening me? Yeah? And that, that was like a turning point for me. I like erupted like this volcano, you know? And home truths came back. And that was one of the reasons when it was my 43rd birthday in May, and I thought to myself, what have I not done in my life yet that's on the bucket list? Oh, yeah, let's go and do it. go to the gun range. So let's go and train yourself. Not that I'm going to ever go and use a weapon against anyone and harm them because I'm not like that. But it was something I felt pushed to do. Like, this is my Sarah O'Connor stage in my life, as I said to you. Yeah. I need to be strapped. I need to be armed. I need to be ready. And I am going to, I have kept up with that and I am going to keep up with it. Because it's mentally got me prepared. It made me come out of victim mode to strength. And right. some people won't bounce back that quick. I'm different. You know? Yeah, and, and I think when it comes to healing yourself, everybody's healing journey is so different. Whereas something like that is something that you like, oh, I'm going to do this and this is going to help me feel em empowered. Um, where someone else, it could be something as simple as just saying no. Yes. Like that they've never been able to say no. They've never been able to tell their friend who invited them to their child's birthday party that they don't want to come. Yes. Like that could be as simple as Correct. feeling empowered as what Correct. you're doing. Empowering so. can be blocking their number. It can be deleting their number. It can be deleting mm -hmm. their photos. It can be you moving forward with your life and starting again. Empowering can be very different stages like, like we've said, you know. Yeah. And, and this is a good thing now. You know, now we're looking at how we move forward and how we rebuild our lives. Because, you know, like you said, you're still having counselling. You know, I'm, I, I'm actually counselling others. Uh, I think that helps that in some respects I'm counselling them, they're counselling me, you know, because uh -huh. we can relate and not everybody will understand. And you have to come out the other side of this, you know. You, you start looking after you. You start looking after, you know, maybe you've neglected your skin, your routine, your sleep, you know. It might be you've neglected friends, hobbies. Like you've said, there's certain things you started writing, it's cathartic to write. Uh -huh. You know, I, I recently published a book of mine that I'd been working on for a year called Diary of Abuse by a Loved One. You know, I'm gonna do another podcast about that another time. But I do actually discuss similar topics to what we're discussing uh -huh. in that book because we're not um, helping people like we should do, you know? We are yes. trying, we're trying in society, but there's still a lot of places across the world, internationally, you know, this podcast is heard by lots of people. There is still places out there, people out there that keep it quiet, you know. What, before we finish, what advice would you give those individuals, Alison, based on what you've gone through? Okay, so th the very first thing that I would recommend would be to reconnect with yourself because I feel like that... Um, we, we miss that a lot when we, um, when we grow up, you know, and I've heard people say to me, women and men alike who, 
they have negative self-talk. They say things like, I can't do that, or I'm not strong enough, or I'm not good enough, or, you know, I just don't have the strength. But truly, if you look at the child version of yourself, if that four-year-old little girl were sitting there, you wouldn't tell that four-year-old child those things. You wouldn't look her in the eyes and say, you're not strong enough. You're not good enough. You're not you don't have the abilities to, to escape this or get out of this. You wouldn't say those types of things. Um, you need, in my opinion, you need to treat that inner child version of yourself like it is a yeah. child. You with would compassion. encourage that child. Yeah, with compassion and with love and with yes. TLC, tender loving care. But, you know, Absolutely. sometimes loving self is hard when you're coming out of this narcissistic hole it's almost like Alice in Wonderland. You've fallen down this big hole, this big hole in the ground. You didn't realize what you got yourself into until you're trying to get out. And, you and know, it's work. It is It is absolutely yeah. work. Like it, A lot of people also say, well, how long until you heal or how long is it going to take and am I ever going to be happy again? And to me, it is possible because I'm living proof of it, yeah. but you so have to put the work in. <laughs> You, yeah, yeah, you have to put the work in. You can't just wait for it to pass. It's, I, I posted something the other day. It said, um, you know, you have to remove the thorn. The, the pain might go away over time, but you have to get that thorn out. Yeah. You have to dig it out, and it takes a lot of work. It's this goes really, back really... to what I said earlier, doesn't it, about the patterns of behavior. You know, if you are someone that's had low self-esteem, low confidence, mm -hmm. if you've not worked on the inner reasons as to why these things have happened to you or you've allowed them to happen to you, then you're not going to heal. You know, we all have Agreed. scars. I said that to you earlier. But you make something out of it. Don't look at a scar as a war wound. Don't look at that internal or physical or emotional scar as something that's going to hold you back. Move forward with your life. You know? I Close agree. that chapter. Close that chapter. Look at yourself. There's so many things. Like, personally for me... There's so many things I had given up on and I was frustrated. I want to travel. I want to see the world. There was times I wanted to just even go to a new museum that was an hour away or 30 minutes away. These were all battles I had all the time. Now I'm at the point where I'm just liberated and I'm just taking one day at a time. I'm not setting myself any huge massive goals. Yes, there's things I want to do, but I work on me. I work on myself and I work on my healing. You know, sometimes it's like catching up on sleep might sound silly but that's been a luxury before because of these issues and the way that they do things some of us are so anxious we can't sleep our sleep patterns have been disturbed our eating habits have been disturbed our bodies go through different changes you know through stress through anxiety your hair falls out your skin is not great you might put weight on weight off all of our bodies have fluctuated differently so that self-care that you're talking about, whether it's starting yoga or swimming or meditation or just simple things like sleeping. I'm not saying sleep at work, but do like a baby nap. Uh -huh. Give yourself a bit of you time. It's okay to have an extra hour in bed. It's okay to go and make yourself breakfast. For example, these might be small steps you do that are helping you. It might be that you couldn't, right. you couldn't eat. You know, some of us do go through phases of, not being able to nourish ourselves you know and sometimes the food is also a, a clever one because there are times when we don't eat or we eat the wrong things or we're programmed to think that oh we don't deserve for example this type of quality of food that might be a little bit more expensive it might be a dollar more it might be one pound more but because we've been brainwashed not to have it, it our bodies notice you know so, well yeah, I, I agree with that. And, you know, you had mentioned about taking steps and doing things that you want to do. And yeah. some of these are big goals for you. And some of them can be really small. When you were talking about food, one of the things that I remember clearly was one day I decided I was going to go to Dairy Queen and get me a, a blizzard, which was like ice cream and cookies all mixed in. <laughs> and I just was never really permitted to do that. Sounds and very I would have had to I would have had to go to the store. I would have had to buy the ice cream, buy the cookies, you know, make it myself at home because it was cheaper that way. Yeah, um, and I just it. remember feeling so empowered just going to the store and using my money and buying the ice cream I wanted to yeah. and not having to go make it by hand. And that was just even something that's 
small yeah. was really empowering for me and yeah. healing. It was really healing too. It's about it's about rewarding yourself, isn't it? And it's about mm-hmm. we're not you know we're not advising people. By the way, if anyone's listening, we're not saying go and be obese and go you know be <laughs> diabetic or whatever because you got to be sensible with people tuning in. We're, sure. we're talking about a little bit of indulgence, a little bit of indulgence right. that just allows you to sort of like recalibrate things and sort of put you first, you know, because mm-hmm. we, we can relate to these things. So, Alison, any last um, thoughts or any last words? Obviously, we'll put the details of your book in the podcast at the bottom. You know, obviously, you can find out uh, more about Alison's book. I'll put the link in if you want to purchase it. Please do so, you know. Um, I will put the link in the feed for you to do that. But, Alison, is there any last thoughts before we finish this podcast? Well, thank you so much for having me. You're I welcome. really enjoyed being here and talking with you. Um, the one thing that I will just tell everybody who's listening is that there is hope outside of this type of abuse. There is um, a light at the end of the tunnel. And, you know, you'll feel like at some point that you're at the lowest that you, you could possibly ever be. You'll feel like you're in this swamp with rainstorms and alligators and snakes and um, you can't see and it's dark. But people like you and me, you and me, Miriam, yeah. we're on the other side and yeah. we're going to shout to you and tell you how to come out of that. And um, that's and what I hope own. to do for everyone. Yeah, and you're not on your own. And it, and it doesn't matter which stage of your journey you're at. I think sometimes the fact that you recognize that this mm-hmm. is a narcissistic abuse. You were in it, for example, for 17 years. Someone I know is in it plus 40 years. I was in it for six. And it was only the last three that I really realized, ooh, something's really not right. You know, yeah. and it and it's it's also recognizing these are the triggers because we don't know what the, what they are, but also the steps to get out, the healthy steps to move forward, and the healthy steps to restart your life again because you can. And it doesn't matter if someone rings you up and says, "Oh, you won't be able to get another partner at this age." So what? You know, I'm right. happy myself, and and it's knowing that you have to start loving you. Don't let anybody knock you down. Don't let anybody knock your self-confidence and your self-esteem. Start loving you. Start loving you again. That's the best journey to recovery. Yeah. Love that. So from Alison and myself, thank you for tuning in. I'm sure this has been an emotional podcast for quite a lot of our listeners, Alison. You know, and if you do have questions for any of us, then obviously please, you know, put them in the the, um, feed um, the two of us will get back to you, but we wish you, you know, we wish you the best, don't we, Alison, on your recovery Absolutely. and getting out of it. And um, please read Alison's book. Um, God bless. Take care, Alison. Do you want to say anything before thank we go? Thank you so much. You're Just welcome. thank you so much for having me. And, and, and also, too, I have a presence on Instagram and Facebook. So if anybody, you know, would like to reach out, you can reach me in my DMs as Again, well. Again, I'll put that in the feed once we okay. uh, finish this podcast. Thanks for tuning Great. in, everybody. Thank Hope you. Hope that helps someone. Bye for now.